What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron, and I think a lot of you guys are probably thinking to yourself, you know, we were on a roll, pre-draft content, post-draft content, rookie rankings, rookie taxi squad stashes. Where have you been? You know, it was kind of radio silence over the weekend, and what I was doing is I locked myself in this damn basement for the entire weekend and just grinded away at the Dynasty Rankings on patreon.com slash ronstewart. You can find these in the description down below in the comments section, but... On the Patreon, I have my top 300 dynasty rankings. We did 50 quarterbacks, 50 uh, tight ends, 100 running backs, 100 wide receivers, all ranked for dynasty, rookies included. Every single player, I have a designation of whether or not they are a buy, sell, or just neutral. So I guess like a hold, you could call that. So a lot of work went into that. I'm telling you guys, like I was probably overthinking it, but I just feel like there's some analysts out there that are just kind of willy-nilly with their rankings and just like kind of move things around to move things around and, you know, update it to update it. But like, I really sit down and give it a lot, a lot of thought and research goes into this. And I, I mean, I'm sitting there looking through like Marcus Valdez scaling versus DJ Chark, you know, like in the wide receiver seventies, painstakingly moving each and every single player where I would want them to be. Cause I know a lot of you guys have uh rookie drafts winding down. So you kind of want to know uh, trade targets and trade values because I have each player even highlighted in the startup ranking. So you can see, uh, kind of where to value like a 206, you know, what kind of players are even around the 206. Uh, and then we also have startup drafts going on right now. I know we have a lot of post NFL draft startups, so I wanted to have rankings for those. That is all done on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. So what we're going to talk about today is showing them off a little bit because again, we put in a lot of work on these. So we're going to talk through today, five players that are skyrocketing on my dynasty rankings. The last update we did was like early April. So this is going to be players that have jumped up a ton of value in the rankings since April after the draft. So with all that being said, again, check out patreon.com slash Ron Stewart to find my rankings. That'll be in the description down below in the comments. And if not, like, subscribe if you enjoy. Let's go. Thirsty, thirsty, trying to choose. I mean, I know I'm all right, so I decided to make the executive decision to switch back to the old intro until I fix the new one because I just don't really like the new one. It's too short, whatever. I know that the the face uh, cartoon of me isn't where it should be, but look, this is where just, just what we're working with. It's draft month, draft season. I don't have time to tinker around with the music and the animations and stuff. I don't get, know that that's going to get you know ironed out, flattened out by the time we get to you know like redraft season in like another few weeks to a month here. But... The first player that rose a bunch of spots in the Dynasty Rankings update is Damian Pierce. He went from my 805 as my RB24 pre-draft to now my 705 as my RB16. So he goes up a full round of startup value and eight running back spots. And we've already talked about Damian Pierce on the sophomore comps video where I talked about players that were at risk of getting replaced by Bijan. And Damian Pierce was one of those guys. We have seen day three running backs. We have seen UDFA running backs, right, with uh, James Robinson. Then they go out and they draft ETN. We saw with Elijah Mitchell, right? Elijah Mitchell was the guy, and then they go out and they trade for Christian McCaffrey. We've seen time and time again these day three guys get replaced, get no respect. And I thought, and Vegas thought here, as you can see, they had the second highest odds to draft a Jameer Gibbs or a Bijan Robinson. And even, you know, they were a high risk to even draft somebody like a Zach Charbonnet or a Zach Evans or... Somebody to add to the mix here. But they came out here and drafted zero running backs. And they did grab like a UDFA, but they drafted zero running backs. And instead of adding competition to the room with Damian Pierce, 
like a sharp team, they decided, you know what? Damian Pierce was great last year. Let's keep Damian Pierce in our future back role. They go out and they sign Devin Singletary, so that's like a perfect don't I'm not hearing anything about Devin Singletary taking away from Damian Pierce. That's actually the perfect like meat shield running back where he's slow, he's inefficient, but he's a body to kind of keep away your young ascending guys that have a ton of upside. So he gets essentially the running back room to himself. And instead of drafting his replacement, where they could have drafted a Bijan or something, they instead elevate their entire offense by drafting C.J. Stroud second overall. In pre-draft, we didn't really think that C.J. Stroud was a possibility in the slightest. Because again, like they were talking like number two it was probably going to be, I mean, there was Will Levis rumors, but C.J. Stroud was never really penciled into the Texans during the pre-draft process. So this gives him a huge boost, right? The whole offense gets propped up. Future projection right now, you have an actual quarterback behind center they didn't add any running back competition and Stroud is the perfect pocket passer where if it was Anthony Richardson or if it was Will Levis where they're either inaccurate or looking to scramble a ton the PPR receiving upside for Pierce wouldn't be as great as it as it is now with CJ Stroud who is the pocket passer of the top four quarterbacks that were you know potentially going to go top five to top ten so you get a really nice boost here for Damian Pierce because the offense should be better there's no more competition Everything is just kind of pointing up for Damian Pierce. And what we kind of realized in that sophomore comps video where we talked about the running backs that could be, you know, uh, unseated by Bijan Robinson. And by the way, in that video, I think I told you guys, if you had Damian Pierce, just hold on to him. I actually just ended up in a startup draft of him. Uh, the Stock Exchange boys are in there. Some other guys are in there. Uh, Dynasty IM, uh, Ian on Twitter is in there. I actually ended up drafting my first Damian Pierce share in a Dynasty League. It was like 7 11 of course, you have a bunch of guys who are kind of like zero RB and super extreme in there. So I got to take advantage of a pretty uh, extreme room and got a nice value on him. But he's somebody I'm really coming around on. I think I'm going to kind of like him and redraft too, Damian Pierce, because I think the receiving upside is a lot more than I ever gave him credit for. I was looking at him as a Nick Chubb guy, as a Derrick Henry guy, you know, really good pure rusher. But I think he was just misused in college. And in college, he had a nice A dot. And he was decent on like a per route basis. Now, this is looking at weeks 2 through 18 last year, which was the first week that Damian Pierce had uh, over 50% of the snaps. And in that span, he had a 4.5 expected points per game in the receiving game. That is just based on your volume, so your targets, your dot. How many points per game can you be penciled in for in the receiving game? And 4.5 is a lot for a rookie. Like you can see, you know, he's in P. Ryan range, Michael Carter range, two guys who are receiving backs, not too far away from a guy like Najee Harris, who, you know, had... I think like 80 plus targets in his first year uh, with the Steelers. So he's in a spot where as a true rookie here, he is already above your like Chubb, Derrick Henry area. And this was just on a 37.6% route participation, 39th in the NFL among running backs. He could very easily get to your, you know, Josh Jacobs, James Conner area in that like six plus challenge for 50 plus receptions as soon as next year, if they just commit to him and make him their bell count. And it seems like what they've sort of showed us uh, with what they did in the draft, that that's kind of what where their head's at right now. So I think he's very exciting. He was 19th among 40 running backs last year with 25 or more targets with an 18.75% target per out run. He's earning targets. 37.6% route participation is so low. You have to think that that goes up. And if that goes up and in year two, they utilize him in a three down skill set. This is a guy that could challenge for like, you know, top five running back in fantasy type value as soon as 2023. So the reasons to move him up, you know, just to kind of sum them all up, is no running backs were drafted to be his competition. Stroud elevates the entire offense. 
he's the perfect quarterback for a running back that we want to rack up more receptions. And the receiving upside is there. And we didn't really touch on him being a special runner. I think that's kind of already known. But he's a very good running back. Third in missed tackles forced per attempt last year. Second in elusiveness rating. He breaks tackles. He makes big plays. His longest run last year was like 75 so or 75 yards. So for a guy who was kind of dinged for not being the most athletic guy coming out of school, I'm not convinced that he is as much of a plotter as I might have thought. Like coming out of school, I'll be honest with you guys, I thought that he was a between the tackles grinder, not super athletic. But he's kind of shown a lot more versatility and a lot more juice um, than I previously thought. So all the guys who were on Damian Pierce, I waved the white flag. You know, you guys um, definitely had one there. Now, the next guy we'll talk about is Jordan Love. Now, Jordan Love didn't really jump because of the draft or anything, but instead he jumped because of the Aaron Rodgers trade, right? Packers draft a bunch of weapons. They get Aaron Rodgers out of there, right? We had Aaron Rodgers where Aaron Rodgers could have retired. He could have just stayed on the Packers and played another year. Like, he's such a wild card that I wasn't fully ready to pencil Jordan Love in as the 2023 starter just just yet. Like, there's, there was uncertainty there, you know? To me, it was like probably a 75% chance that he would be the starter for 2023. And now that it's 100%, I moved him up. I moved him from the 904 as my QB 27 to the 710 as my QB 23. So four quarterback spots and about a round and a half of startup value. And now with Rodgers gone, we can guarantee that Jordan Love gets at least a full season audition this year in 2023, which is fun, which is great, right? Quarterbacks gain value if they can just get on the field and get the starting job. Um, and then you can kind of go from there whether or not you want to, to sell that player, just kind of hold on from there. But Jordan Love has earned a nice little jump there. And then also the Packers, while they didn't draft Jackson Smith and the Jigba in the first round, they did surround him with weapons where they drafted uh a wide receiver in Jaden Reed who I don't love but I mean they still you know invested good draft capital he could easily prove me wrong and be you know Chase Claypool or Christian Watson uh and then they also drafted Luke Musgrave in the top 50 and then on top of that they drafted three wide receivers total two tight ends total in the entire draft so they invested a good a good chunk of their draft capital in weapons for Jordan Love to have so that's all really exciting here and now we kind of go from, you know, the circumstances of Jordan Love getting elevated, right? Roger's gone. They bring in more weapons for him. But now we kind of look at Jordan Love because it's dynasty. The player has to be talented. And there's not a lot to go off here. I'm a little bit skeptical to go off of a one-game sample. This is the one game that he has, like, started in his entire career. He played against the Chiefs. Under 60% completion percentage, just 190 yards. Uh, one touchdown, one interception. Awful, awful passing grade there. Awful offensive grade there. Uh, zero big-time throws, three turnover-worthy plays. But again, I have a hard time closing the door shut uh, on a one-game sample from a year ago, you know? Or I think that would be like two years ago, starting in 2023. But on the positive side, he did rush five times in that game, which is a positive for fantasy. And why I'm kind of open to the idea of Jordan Love, because I at least think that he's not a... I mean, Mac Jones is a bad example because I think Mac Jones is actually kind of good at real-life football, but Jordan Love is at least built in a way where if we look at his relative athletic score and just kind of who he comps to, Dak Prescott was one of the guys that they spit out for him. You know, four sevens, six, you know, two, three, 225 pounds, pretty good explosion there, 35-inch vertical. He's a big boy, got big hands, right, 10.5-inch hands there. There's upside to this profile, right? He is not a, like, pocket passer with no upside, he is somebody that is going to scramble a little bit. He is somebody that is big, has a big arm, has a lot of these like traits and tools that a lot of these you know scouts in uh, real football really like. So I think that there is upside to be had here. And he falls in a bucket 
of silver mobile quarterbacks. And these are the other silver mobile quarterbacks. I mean, it's not a beautiful list. Um, you know, you got Andy Dalton, Josh Freeman, Geno Smith, Kenny Pickett, EJ Manuel. I think Paxton Lynch is kind of the downside here, right? Another guy who was big, toolsy, went to kind of like a random school, right? I think Jordan Love went to like Utah State. I think Paxton Lynch went to Memphis. So, you know, random school, not a big competition or uh, strength of competition, strength of schedule there. So I think at the very least, there is a payoff to chase here. I think there's somebody that can look sort of like a Ryan Tannehill, uh, you know, light version of a Dak Prescott, you know, on the lower end, you can kind of say something more like a Josh Freeman. Uh, I think Josh Freeman would really be the guy uh, to comp him to. So I think there's at least some ceiling here that we're chasing. And I think that that's fine. So that's why I'm, I'm cool to move him up because I think that there's at least something worth chasing here. Um, so we'll see. Uh, as a Jets fan, I would be pretty damn salty if they went out here and got Favre, Rodgers, and then another Hall of Fame quarterback on top of like Bart Starr and all of those guys is somebody that has never even been alive for the Jets drafting their own uh, franchise quarterback, but we'll see how that goes. Now, next we have James Conner, who was my 1106 as my RB36 and is now my 1003 as my RB28. So about a full round and some change, about a, a round and a quarter moved up, and I moved him up eight running back spots. And I think they, James Conner is one of the more low-key draft winners where the Cardinals, if you guys remember, when I, when I would do these rookie mock drafts where we would have landing spots like built in to do the thought exercise or whatever, the Cardinals would always end up with Jameer Gibbs or Zach Charbonnet, or they would draft somebody on day two, and they go out here and they don't draft a single running back, the Cardinals. And I kind of applaud them for it. Uh, I know they have the new coach come in who is just like super weird. He's like fireworks, pew, pew, talking to Rondell Moore and stuff. Very, very weird. Um, but I kind of applaud them for a team that has holes everywhere. Investing in running back in any capacity is a bad move there. Just build the rest of the team. I kind of like it too. I mean, they're, they're adding cornerbacks, you know, they, they drafted tackle, uh, six overall. So they kind of did all right. They draft a new lineman, which is going to help James Conner and James Conner, James Conner now find himself in a backfield with essentially just Keontae Ingram, who I like Keontae Ingram. We're moving up Keontae Ingram as well. He's somebody that like as a late flyer because James Conner is somebody that does get banged up, is getting older now. But like when we're talking about James Conner here, this is a guy who is, you know, 28 years old. He has zero touch competition and he's coming off back to back RB9 point per game seasons or RB9 points per game and then RB7 points per game seasons. He has like three RB1 finishes in the last like four or five years. He feels like to me the cheapest way in Dynasty to get to top 20 fantasy production. Now, obviously, this isn't a perfect practice, but it's something I like to look at, and we've looked at in the past, but I have each player ranked, or each player in Mike Clay's top 20 projected running backs in fantasy points, right? Mike Clay, ESPN guy, somebody I really, really trust. Maybe soon here we'll have him on the channel and pick his brain on his uh, his projections, but I think there's a lot to be gained from not just saying, okay, this player is good. He's going to be good in fantasy, but going through the team level and looking at tendencies and historical trends of, okay, this team is going to pass this much, or this coach passes this much, or this player's career touchdown percentage is this. So we can kind of project him here reasonably. A lot goes into it. I just simply took his top 20 in total fantasy points for 2023 here. And I put it next to each of these running backs, keep trade cut ranks, and then found the difference. Ideally, uh, on contending teams or teams you're trying to make the playoffs, your running backs should be cheaper in Dynasty than they are in Redraft, if that makes sense, because that's how you can really stack a nice value, right? 
even, I mean, we're talking about James Conner here, but there's some other names that stick out too, where you have Austin Eckler, who is the RB12 in Dynasty, but the RB1 for Mike Clay in redraft. You have Derrick Henry, who's giving you 15 spots of value from uh, Dynasty to redraft. So a lot to like here, but James Conner leads the way where he is the RB40 in Dynasty, but the RB19 in Mike Clay's projection. He gives you the biggest discrepancy, the biggest bang for your buck on a cheap running back that can give you top 20 production. So for that reason, I think if I'm on a contender, and if I'm on the clock and like Tank Bigsby's gone and I'm thinking between like, you know, Zach Evans and Israel Abinaconda, if you can use that pick and maybe like, you know, slap a fourth on top and go get a James Conner, go see if you can do that. Because I think that there is a small, small buy win, uh, like really buy low window here on James Conner, especially if Keontae Ingram gets any steam here. Now, the next guy we'll talk about, similar story to Jordan Love, we have Desmond Ritter, who is another big winner from the NFL draft as a quarterback. He was my... 15.06 as my QB 34. I move him up four spots to QB 30, but I move him all the way up to the 11.09. So about four rounds of startup value from the 15.06 to the 11.09. And instead of Rodgers leaving, Ritter survived the draft. I think most of us thought that the Falcons at eighth overall were in the market to take a quarterback. They could have taken another one in the second round with Will Levis falling. They had a bunch of opportunity, you know, Hendon Hooker if they wanted to. But they are putting from, you know, their actions – they're telling us that they're putting full faith in Desmond Ritter in 2023. Now, Desmond Ritter is interesting because, one, the Falcons have an incentive for him to work out. Of course, that's how it is with every quarterback, but with a third-round quarterback in particular, you would think, okay, the team doesn't have much tied up in Desmond Ritter. You know, why would they put this much faith into him? But they have an incentive here where they can build a monster team around him and, you know, sort of like what Russell Wilson did with the Seahawks early in his career. The whole rookie quarterback contract thing is, of course, league-wide, and it, you know it, it even works for like your top five drafted quarterbacks. But if you compare a top five drafted quarterback, like if you compare uh, what Bryce Young is making on a per-year basis to what Desmond Ritter is making, it's worlds apart. So you can even compound the advantage of a rookie quarterback deal if you can get it with a third-round quarterback. So they really want to see if Desmond Ritter can work, because if he can work, it gives you so much flexibility with the rest of your roster. So Desmond Ritter coming in, I actually liked him a lot as a prospect. I remember kind of like pumping him up. He was somebody where I think after like Sam Howell and Malik Willis, I liked him in that QB3 area. He was someone I thought maybe would slip in uh, late first in the NFL draft. And he's very similar without being 25 years old and having a torn ACL to Hendon Hooker, who was a third round silver Konami code QB in the RS grades. So is Desmond Ritter. He is a silver Konami code QB drafted in the third round. And that's really interesting. So... Desmond Ritter last year, he did play in four games. He had four starts. Again, with these small samples, there's really not a ton to take away from them. But what I did take away is he was okay. He had a 63.5% completion percentage, which is nice. He had uh, three big-time throws of two turnworthy plays, which is better than what uh, Jordan Love did in his one start. The downside, though, is he had just 0.1 rushing points per game, which would put him next to, like, Tua and Kirk Cousins. But... The bright side is the yards and touchdowns and the efficiency wasn't there, but the attempts were. He had four carries per game, which was 18th among QBs. And I think that's going to go up with Arthur Smith. Maybe we'll see some more schemed carries. We'll see maybe him get more comfortable and scramble more. Uh, and, you know, just the rushing game with Bijan Robinson now, I think you're going to have linebackers and, you know, just resources from the defense allocated to stopping Bijan Robinson out of the backfield. So you're going to get a little more efficiency, a little bit more rushing from Desmond Ritter here. And, you know, we want the yards and the touchdowns, which I think will come because we should believe that he's going to run more than he did last year in four starts. 
He is a guy who qualified for Konami code, which has nothing to do with relative athletic score or testing. It is all just uh, rushing yard market share and rushing attempt market share in college. And he ran the ball a ton at Cincinnati. Now, not only did he have the tendency to rush a ton at Cincinnati, he is also very, very fast. For a quarterback, he has blazing speed. Now, I don't know why they don't have Anthony Richardson yet on here. Anthony Richardson obviously would be the fastest quarterback on this list, but Desmond Ritter is literally like the fourth fastest quarterback in player profilers database. He ran a 4-5-2, which is just absolutely nuts for a quarterback. Like, you have Tyrod Taylor and Marcus Mariota right next to him. Colin Kaepernick is right there. I mean, this is a guy who is very, very fast. So I think we're going to see him on the run a little bit more. We're going to see him in read options, you know, settle in a little bit more, uh, get more efficiency on those runs, maybe score some touchdowns. And, like, I kind of am talking myself into Desmond Ritter here. He gets an amazing supporting cast, right, where they have Bijan now out of the backfield. They have Drake London, Kyle Pitts. They had the fifth best offensive line in PFF's end-of-season rankings. Arthur Smith is also, I mean, I wouldn't call him a quarterback whisperer, but he is somebody that made absolute magic with Ryan Tannehill for multiple years. And I kind of think that Ryan Tannehill is a similar archetype of QB to a Desmond Ritter. And I know the pass volume is going to be low in this offense, right? We saw it last year uh, with Arthur Smith. They were like the run heaviest team in the NFL, or maybe the second to the Chicago Bears. But that's not a huge issue for the quarterbacks, right? Justin Fields scored a ton last year. Lamar Jackson has always been like league bottom mission pass attempts and has scored well in fantasy. Uh, even Ryan Tannehill in the Titans where he wasn't so much Konami code, but was just so efficient in that offense. So I wouldn't hold the pass volume against Desmond Ritter. If you want to hold it against uh, Drake London and Kyle Pitts, I think that that's kind of warranted at this point. But against Desmond Ritter, it really shouldn't help him a ton. So for those reasons, I'm moving him up. Again, the Falcons are incentivized for Ritter to work out. It seems like they're giving him the keys and a full proper audition in 2023. Of course, Taylor Heineke is looming. I think that gives him a little bit more risk uh, than a Jordan Love because they don't have like a proper backup behind him. Taylor Heineke, uh, damn good quarterback in my eyes, but of course, it's kind of like a career journeyman. So we'll see. It would have to be really, really bad uh, for them to switch to Taylor Heineke, but it is a risk involved with his profile. Now, the last player we'll talk about here is Nico Collins, who I'm kind of coming around on. I liked him a lot coming out of school, and then I kind of just forgot about him because he face planted, right? As we do with a lot of these guys, like, you know, your Tylen Wallace's of the world and, you know, your uh who the heck was Jalen Talbert's of the world right but I mean I, I didn't move him up like a crazy amount or anything but he is somebody that I wanted to talk about he was my 1701 is my wide receiver 75 and again like I'm telling you I'm painstakingly looking through these late round wide receivers because I made it an effort to move him up I moved him from my 1701 as my wide receiver 75 to my 1409 as my wide receiver 62 so 13 wide receiver spots and I believe like two and a half rounds of startup value. And this was a guy who was a third round wide receiver out of Michigan in 2021. And he was just a silver in the RS grades. Uh, but that was because he played at Michigan. Michigan's never going to have a, like a good passing offense. And at that time it was Cade McNamara, who was just absolutely awful. So it was tough to expect production from him, but in a modern era where like since 2021, right, you had the you had the class with like T. Higgins and Ayuk, and before that you had, you know, uh AJ Brown, Debo, Metcalf. Since then it's been like, man, like we are not getting big wide receiver classes. And Nico Collins was a giant among, you know, your Jalen Waddles and Rondell Moores and Elijah Moores. Uh, and he is just a mountain of a man, for a wide receiver at least. This is his uh, best comparable player on relative athletic score. It's Devontae Parker. And of course, Devontae Parker was is kind of been a bust for a first round pick, but I think that that would be a pretty high-end outcome for Nico Collins. Uh, but regardless, I think we'd all agree that Devontae Parker is kind of a freak of nature. Uh, Nico Collins, 6'4", 215 pounds, 4'4", 5 speed, 
37 and a half inch vertical, pretty good three cone time, good broad jump. Like he's explosive, he's big, he's fast. And in today's NFL, uh, that is really rare. So he plays in year one, he face plants, but if you look at the numbers, he improved a ton from year one to year two. So I'm almost willing, especially at this price and especially on the Texans offense with like what it's been like Davis Mills this entire time and what they had, uh, the John Skelton, it was somebody, it was, it was like that Florida quarterback that runs a ton where he was like kind of playing tight end, but also playing quarterback. Uh, we look at what he did from year one to year two, and it's really exciting stuff. Uh, year one, he had six points per game, 76 in the NFL year two, 9.7 49th in the NFL. So a small bump there yards per run 1.24 83rd in the NFL goes up to 1.68 37th in the NFL. Remember as well, it's really tough to be efficient in an offense like the Texans. So bumping up from 83rd to 37th, I think is huge. Uh, targets per run goes from 16.3% 80th in the NFL to 21st in the NFL with 22.4%. That's a huge jump. And then contested catch percentage, which as a big X wide receiver, 6'4", 215, that's a big thing. He goes from a 41.7% contested catch contested catch percentage i don't know why i'm struggling to get that out 74th in the nfl to second in the nfl last year at 75 percent on 12 of 16 so a pretty big sample too there so a lot of really exciting stuff and then we look down to the bottom houston's quarterback epa per drop back so epa per drop back is just your essentially your impact on the game your offensive efficiency on a per place basis in this instance on a per drop back basis minus 0.117 so you are getting your expected points added is a negative. It was a net negative to pass the ball for the Texans these last two years, which is pretty insane. 32nd in the NFL, and now he gets TJ Stroud. So he's been operating almost, you know, with his wings clipped, which is an awful offense, an awful quarterback. And on a per route basis, he really made some strides last year. And we even have a really nice blurb uh, from Matt Harmon where he kind of details it a little bit more. He has looked at, uh, or he compares him a little bit to some ex-wide receivers we've seen, like Allen Robinson, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf. Collins is far better at winning against man and press coverage than zones. Those man and press success rates are quite solid. Anytime you see a perimeter receiver around that 70% success rate versus man coverage, we should be interested. He brings a good release package to the line of scrimmage, and his press success rate reflects that. These are the traits we want in an ex-wide receiver. Of course, all of this route running is nice, but the appeal of a player with Collins' size is a tight coverage ability. And that's where he really shines. Just over 33% of his targets were contested catch attempts in this sample, and he won every single time. After a slow start, Mills seemed to figure out that he can just leave it to Collins down the field and he'll go get it. There's a reason he had a 34% share of the air yard since week four. So this is like a snapshot of like the first five weeks of the season, but it was compelling enough for him to want to do uh, an article on him, and everything he had to say was glowing. So, I mean, I, I hate to hype up a... a a silver third round wide receiver that face planted in year one. These are profiles that I never really bet on, but when we're talking about like damn near free in all formats, I think you have to move up Nico Collins. I think you have to be interested in Nico Collins at this point. There's a lot to get excited about. They bring in Bobby Slowick, who uh, was like a PFF analyst, like really, really far back in the day was then under Kyle Shanahan and San Fran for a while. Now he's offensive coordinator with the Texans. So we're going to see one of these next like LaFleur, uh, McVay type guys, you know, 49er uh, type tree. He's going to run the offense. You bring in C.J. Stroud, who is one of the most accurate downfield passers we've seen as a prospect. And the Tyson didn't invest in any big physical X-wide receivers. Of course, they brought in Tank Dell. They brought in Xavier Hutchinson. That's a slot guy. Robert Woods is kind of more of an interior guy. Mechie's going to be more of like your, you know, your Z-type uh, receiver. Nico Collins is their only true X-wide receiver. And I think that he gets that nod on day one. So... That's really exciting. I'm okay betting on a, on a, on a face planner like Michael or uh, Nico Collins at this price. Nobody has really uh, caught up on it yet. I will be honest with you. 
I have him at my 1409 right now. I think he probably is like a single digit, either dynasty or redraft guy by the time we get to like, you know, redraft season. I think that Nico Collins is going to get a lot of buzz in the redraft street. So if you're out there and you want to get in early, you can either buy him in dynasty or you can go uh, on underdog. Use my promo code underdog or use my promo code Ron on underdog. They'll hook you up with a $100 deposit match on there and go out there, scoop up Nico Collins for cheap because I think he's going very cheap right now. But he seems like a guy where I'm connecting all these dots. Everyone's going to connect these dots and he's going to start rising up board. So just be on the lookout for Nico Collins, a guy who is rapidly rising in my rankings. Now, with all that being said, I appreciate you watching this video. As always, if you want to look at my entire rankings, of course, Again, for my top 50 quarterbacks, my top 50 tight ends, my top 100 running backs, my top 100 wide receivers, you have each and every single one of those players RS grade. You have each and every single one of those players uh, buy, sell, or neutral. You have every single one of those players, how much they rose or fell since my last update. I think that we might uh, look at the guys who fell the most um, since last update later on in the week. So let me know if you guys want to see that. And as always, if you can't support on Patreon, like, subscribe, go a long, long way. Appreciate you guys. And I will see y'all in the next one. I got the juice. I got the juice. Channel, chat them don't. Foolies, glad I'm on. Even my haters kind of glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag up on. Rapper, song, singer, suspended, subpoena. From Mr. Meaner's dreamer. Hell back asses, Loki's still a dinner. And I still shake a bow squat.